0: Welcome to the show. I'm Greg McEwen, and I'm your host for the What's Essential podcast. There are lots of shows on how to improve, on how to become successful, but there is only one on what to do once you are. This is essential because success can be a catalyst for failure, especially if it leads to the undisciplined pursuit of more. This show is about how to become successful at success, it's for high performers who are on the edge of exhaustion, solving problems completely before they even arise. It's about turning tedious tasks into joyful rituals. It's about simplifying your processes and making your most essential activities the easiest ones. So if you're a driven, hardworking, productive person who is running out of space but still wants to make a higher contribution effortlessly The What's Essential podcast is designed especially for you. So let's begin. This is a real treat. I'm here with Rachel Cook, the host of the Modern Mentor podcast, as well as many other things. A top 100 speaker, according to Inc. Magazine, and they would know. Founder of Lead Above Noise. Yeah, really just unlocks... Uh, results by helping people, companies to figure out how to get thriving teams and it's just a pleasure to be with you today.
1: Well, Greg, thanks so much for having me.
0: We were having an interesting conversation just before we went live and you asked me how I was and 20 years of living in the United States has not cured me of a, a sort of social faux pas of always answering that question honestly. And I think of it now as being a British peccadillo, Uh, but maybe it's not. It could just be me. or my family in England might be saying right now, they might be saying, well, that's not what we do. That's just what you do. (laughs) But whatever the reason is, I answer it directly. And you asked, and I said, I'm feeling pretty exhausted uh, right now, actually. I said, it's ironic uh, having just written uh, effortless and before that essentialism. And you had a good point point that I thought was worth reiterating.
1: Well, thank you for that. And it would be my pleasure to repeat it as an expert in peccadillos. I think you said, I actually don't know what that word means, but perhaps you'll educate me. What I said, Greg, is that, so you said it was ironic if you focus on being effortless and essential, you shouldn't really be exhausted. And what I said is I'm going to call you out on that. And I said, I think you're probably tuned into your exhaustion more than most. And I think for most of us, we have to hit a point of burnout before we start to feel it. And I'm going to say, you're just in a healthier place. You recognize that exhaustion is coming, and I think you just feel it sooner. And I'm going to call that one of your superpowers.
0: Ooh, I like the I like the transformation of that <laughs> first to peccadillo. Peccadillo is sort of like a small, relatively unimportant offense, oddity. But to your point now, I I like what you say about it, because I think in the world right now, there are, broadly speaking, two kinds of people. There are people who are burned out, and then there are people who know they are burned out.
1: (laughs) I think that is sadly a fair assessment. And I, I, when I very first said that,
0: I said it maybe semi as a, you know, as a line, but as I have been working with business leaders and coaching individuals and and still speaking or virtually, but still speaking around the world. I find people nod their heads to that beyond a sense of, uh, or oh, that's a fun funny line. It's like, yeah, that's that's where we are right now. And it raises for me a whole series of questions f- for people and for leaders about what do you do if this approximates reality? And I want to put that to you because I was just talking to a tech leader of a 1,100-person company, and his summary was everybody's burned out It is whole company. That was his summary. So what do you do if that is approximately true as a leader right now? Are there implications, and what are they?
1: Well, I certainly think that there are implications, and I think you know a, a tightly packaged answer around what you do is the million dollar question. And I think all we can do collectively is kind of tap into our shared intuition and start to ask the right questions and figure it out together. You know, we are you know to your point about how universally people are experiencing this, and everybody is really head nodding. I mean, in my lifetime, I, I and Probably for for people way older than me, I don't think we have ever had such a universal, difficult, traumatic experience as a world, right? There is nobody living in any part of this country of the world that doesn't know what you're referring to, who hasn't been living this reality, right? Both personally and professionally. And by the way, the lines between those two things have become so vastly blurred for us. That that is such a major contributor to, to burnout, to the burnout that we're all experiencing. And I think there are a couple things that we can be doing collectively. I think there are some things that leaders in particular can be doing. I think first and foremost, it is acknowledging it, but acknowledging it in an authentic way. You know, I I have so many clients right now who say things like, you know, our CEO continues to talk about burnout, but then he or she just kind of keeps piling it on. You know, there's there's a bit of corporate speak, there's a bit of messaging and hey, it must be hard and let's let's be in this together, but also let's continue to do a million things and kind of burn the candle at both ends. And I think, you know, acknowledging it in a real way and just giving people a little bit of space to to own it. You know, I I loved Greg, you asked me how I was and I said, "Fine, I was great." And you called me out on it a little bit, right? It is kind of an American thing to say that we're great. Um sometimes asking someone to just go a level deeper, really, how, how are you today? How's your day been? You know, has anything difficult or challenging or stressful come up for you? Just giving it a little bit of space, I think is a great way to start. But I think the most important thing we can be doing, and that certainly leaders and organizations can be doing, is asking employees for their input on how do we start to right this shit, right? If we recognize that burnout is happening all around us, what are the things that we can be doing, and maybe more importantly that we can stop doing to help kind of mitigate that experience for you?
0: okay, I want us to put together <laughs> you know like a five point plan for what leaders can do right now, and by leaders, of course, I do mean title leaders who I think bear a particular responsibility, but that is still can be a broad description uh you know that could be leading. In your team, it could be leading in your family. I mean, anywhere where burnout is happening, which is pretty much everywhere. So, okay, the I, the, the first thing uh, is, how are you really? So, so doubling down. I like that as a as a little tool in your toolkit. Not just, hey, how are you? Pause. How are you really? Allowing someone the permission to just. Right. Give the reality. I was coaching a leader recently on this and uh, he applied it to a family member, uh, extended family member. And he, he actually texted me later to just say, thank you for doing that. Because I asked uh, two of my family members, you know, how are you really? And what flowed out of them? I just didn't know anything about. And here I am. I care about them. I love them. And I just was not aware. So I like that as a little unit. The second thing is something you said is just asking people uh, what what can I do to make your life a little easier right now. Yeah. What can I do to ease the burden especially where it isn't adding a lot of value. Just asking that question.
1: Yeah. And by the way, I think there's something really important how you in how you just phrase that because sometimes if we just say, "Oh, how can I, you know, what can I do? How can I help?" we're sort of implying like, well, you need help because you're not strong enough to do this on your own. So how can I swoop in and be your hero? But the way that you just phrased the question was more of a, hey, what burden can I strip out? You know, what noise can I take away? There's there's a little bit of um, moving away from the sense of you need help and I'm here to rescue you. And it's more acknowledging, hey, there's a bunch of junk in the system. So let's collectively and strategically identify what some of it is. So we can pull it out and just get it out of your way so you can get on with things. I think the framing matters.
0: That reminds me of what I think could be our item three, which I learned from a good friend of mine whose daughter uh, became terminally ill and um, and he suddenly was faced with that most awful of life tests and experiences And what he said to me, he said so many people who want to help would say to him, (laughs) how can I help? And he said he learned from that that although the intent is good, it puts the burden on the person who is in need to come up with the answer. And so I think it's a sort of necessary inclination that you want to be in service, but it needs to go beyond that. Uh, What he said to do was you just serve, you just do a thing. So you don't, oh, what can you, let me know if I can do anything or how can I help you? It's you do something. And e- even if it in a sense is symbolic, you know, even if it is the, I mean, what he said to me, um, was you just, it was dramatic, but it's like, you just fly to the person. You just drive, you just go there. You just drive over there. You just act, take an action. And so maybe, uh, our number three is contradictory to number two, but I think if you use them in concert, they're not contradiction. Uh, you, you know, you're signaling that you're ready to serve, but then also just take An action, take something off someone's plate, do something for them that shows that you see them, that you hear them. What things could somebody do immediately if they knew someone was struggling with burnout? This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot, (coughs) Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business.
1: Yeah. And, and I love that. And you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to call that 2A and 2B because I think you ask because maybe they do in a workplace setting where there's maybe less sort of emotional intensity wrapped up as compared to that family situation. Maybe they, maybe they do want to ask you for help in something. So, hey, is there something that, that you can think of that I can help take off your plate? And if not, I'd love to make a few suggestions, right? So you're, you're sort of offering them the option, but then you're ready to swoop in. And I think um, I think a couple of the a couple of things that a leader can suggest if he or she kind of just wants to drive the conversation. I think first and foremost, it's hey, let's find one or two meetings on your calendar that you don't need to be in, and let's find something else for you to do at that time. Right? Maybe it's let's hook you up with a mentor. Maybe it's you just need some free time. You need to go on a walk. All good, right? But being a little bit proactive about creating some time and space for somebody.
0: One of the things I like in what you're saying there about not just saying, let's get you out of a meeting, but let's get you out of a meeting and here's something that might be able to be an additionally helpful resource is that if you just take people out of meetings in an environment where everyone's virtual, there can feel a sense of increased FOMO uh, That's right. that, 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 and this is one of the reasons I think we've had such, um, meeting inflation. <laughs> That's right. And plus, of course, the technology allows it. So a meeting previously that had 10 people in it will, all you have to do is send the meeting to more people and now you can have 30 <laughs> people in it. So it's the meeting equivalent of reply all in email is just well everyone said. can be in these meetings. And so then we replicate and double down on this zoom, eat, sleep, repeat, world. So I think talking to someone about saying, look, let's Mm -hmm. find one of these meetings that isn't as essential, but let's also use it to protect something that does matter more to you. What's the main project you're working on so that you can have time to do that important work. It shows that you're not as a leader thinking someone just can't do the job. You're helping them to do the essential work that will be even more valuable.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, does that count as number three?
1: I think that's a solid number three, don't you?
0: Yeah, I like it. Okay, so I want to talk about something for a second. Let's talk about what not to do. Okay. Because I have seen some pretty Mm tone-deaf leadership moments recently.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, And I don't, for example, and I, I hate a little bit to to mention it directly but the ceo of a major company and he basically said i'll tell you how to know who your most engaged employees are it's the ones who show up physically in the workspace those are the ones that ought to be there and i I thought well maybe that's um maybe that's just just them you know they happen to be in a (laughs) selling a, a you know Work office space is the company, so maybe just bias. But then I came across another example of another CEO who went, it's not just something they said, it's something they wrote an op ed about, and their employees read it and they felt so burned by it. They felt threatened by this other op ed. Like job security is based in being known. And people internally took it as a threat that if they weren't physically there, then they would have less job security. That's right. And in fact, they went on strike. Basically, twenty-five employees, uh, editors at the company, took a day off. Uh, I think on Friday, just like okay, we're not doing anything because this is just just not you know just not okay. Well, those are tone deaf moments. So. I think maybe number four is is don't pressure people to be back physically right now.
1: I would say don't pressure people to be back physically is important, but I might almost elevate number four to say, pressure test your messaging, whatever it is, before you go public because... Everybody's experience. While there is something so universal about the experience, there is also something that is so deeply personal for each of us. Pressure testing your messaging a little bit to just to get some perspective around. Oh, you know, this this is actually how it's going to land with some people, but not the other. There are absolutely people, Greg, who are dying to get back into a physical office, and that doesn't make them better, worse, more or less engaged. It just means that's what they need in their lives right now and other people don't. And so just being really mindful of how your message is likely to be received, I think is really, really important.
0: I love how you say pressure tested. I want you to tell me in a second how you think we should do that. But while I'm just pausing on it, it feels like maybe don't shame anyone (laughs) for the choice they're making you know to prefer to be at home the whole time to prefer to be in the ho- office the whole time to want a hybrid like it's not a time for shaming anyone about who's more engaged or who's better it's a time for just maybe going a little more cautiously
1: that's right it's about getting really clear on what are we here to do as an organization what is the impact we need to have on our customers on our clients on the environment around us and what do we need in order to achieve that so i think it's just about asking yourself as a leader the important questions right what what really is mandatory versus what is just my own personal preference and where can we just offer grace to our employees and i say offer them as much as you can that might look different in different organizations or different types of jobs but offer what you can okay
0: give us a magic number 5
1: i would say Number five for me, and I do think that there is a bit of magic in this because it can be easier said than done, but it is take action. The thing that I see people doing wrong is asking, you know, how are you doing? What can I help? Give me an idea. That sounds great. And then there's kind of radio silence on the other end. Um, and I think what is so important is. As the as the person who needs to do the acting, I say give yourself permission to start small. Um, you don't have to solve somebody's problem, but if you can just infuse one degree of ease, one degree of breath into their day, then you're winning, right? And there's something so symbolic about the fact that they feel heard, they feel seen, and you've taken some sort of action. And I think the act of asking and not acting is actually more damaging than if you hadn't acted at all. So if you're gonna to go to step three and four, please make sure you take step five and take some sort of action.
0: I love that phrase, what can you do that will make somebody's life? Wow, well, now, I say I love the phrase, <laughs> now I can't say it.
1: What can you do to infuse one degree of ease or one small breath into their day?
0: Well, that was very good. That was impressively re-found in your words. <laughs> Uh, I like that. Infuse one degree of ease into somebody else's life. I, I agree completely that even a symbolic action is going to matter more than lots of talk. So I wonder beyond this, what are you finding yourself to be challenging right now? Like, is, is the opening up of things in the United States great for you? Is it, there's something about it that's anxiety producing for you?
1: Oh, it's such a good question for me right now, because we are at this incredible inflection point. You know, here in the U.S., the CDC has just literally, hot off the presses, released guidance about, you know, it's, it's time. Like, it's time to go back. And we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and now all of a sudden you know we're sort of all like deer in headlights right and so what i would say feels hard for me right now so i i have two daughters they are 14 and 11 and they are young enough to be impressionable still to me old enough to be wise and have their own intuition and intelligence and I feel like for all of us, for myself and for my girls, I am so focused right now on how do, we, how do we take the time to reflect and be intentional about how we return to this world that is suddenly returning to us such that we are re-engaging with the things that we care about, that matter, that we've truly missed, and we are letting go of some of what we are now realizing didn't serve us, right? I feel like we're at this... Beautiful moment of a natural reset. And I really hope this is the one and only that we ever experience. And I don't want to squander it. But I'm finding it hard to create the time and space to do that reflecting for myself and with my daughters.
0: You sense that there is a window of opportunity. I do. To design, redesign. Be selective, be more essentialist. But (laughs) the transition itself makes that challenging.
1: The transition itself makes that challenging. Plus, going back to our conversation about steps one through five, you know, I too am on a journey towards essentialism. I'm super busy, right? And so. There's an irony in the fact that in order to be essential to pull yourself out of the constant doing and and sort of leading under the noise, in order to pull yourself out of that, you you need to give yourself the gift of the time and space to do that reflecting up front, right? So to get more intentional, to give yourself more time and space, you need to first find the time and space to create that opening. And there's a bit of a chicken or an egg thing happening in there. And I'm not sure if I'm the chicken or the egg, but either way, I'm stuck in something and I'm I'm trying to work my way out.
0: There's sometimes this idea that if we could just do X, then we would feel on top of our lives. Oh, yeah. But I think my experience with this is that there is no such thing, that we're chasing something that isn't... It's not actually a doable condition that because life moves forward, because it is always in movement, I don't know. It's like being on a train your whole life from beginning to end and saying, well, why, why can't I just get the trees outside to stand still? If I could just get those to stand yeah. still, it's like, no, that's not what life is. So getting on top of it can't be the goal. So, what is the realistic goal that you can take? What would success look like for you in this challenge that you've described?
1: Yeah,, it's oh, such a good question. I think su- success would look like for me that as we start to ease back into things, both you know myself in my personal and professional lives, and also you know walking with my kids, that before we step back into anything, we just take one moment of pause and ask ourselves. Is this something we want to step back into, right? Was this something that was serving us? Is this something we missed? And let's just take a beat and make sure it's a hell yes. You know, there's that expression if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Um, So let's just make sure that our yeses feel like hell yeses before we just let ourselves fall back into old habits.
0: So let's say you do that. Does that feel sufficient for you? If, if at each junction, each decision point now you paused, do I really want this? Is this a strong yes for my girls? Would that be a sufficient change to help you feel as reflective as you want to be right now?
1: I would say sufficient. It doesn't feel like a giant win, but it feels like a step in the right direction.
0: What would a giant win be for you?
1: Oh, what would a giant win be? A giant win would be like sitting down with them and having, by the way, again, they're 14 and 11. They don't actually have conversations with me, but in theory, (laughs) it would be sitting down and having a conversation in which they look me in the eye and they put their devices down and we could actually kind of dive into some of what, you know, and these years they're in sixth and eighth grades and these are such emotionally charged years right for for adolescents ugh i still shudder when i think about the middle school lunchroom and i know my girls haven't missed that right and that's of course that's one of those things they're not going to have a choice but you know as an example i would love to have a conversation with them because they've both expressed how much they don't miss the drama of the middle school lunchroom so what a big success would feel like to me in in that instance would be hey let's talk about what was sort of stressful or unpleasant or anxiety provoking around it and you know yeah it is going to come back and you are going to be back in that lunchroom but let's at least reflect on what you didn't love about the experience and is there anything that is within your power within your locus of control to to shift that experience for the better right it's those sorts of conversations with them and and likewise with me you know it's it's being more reflective on the clients that I've worked with, the companies, the industries, the geographies, and taking a moment to ask myself, what have my favorite clients had in common? What have my least favorite clients had in common? And what can I learn about myself and my practice and the book of business I want to build going forward? And being a bit more planful and intentional around that, that would feel like a big win for me.
0: So You've said two specific things now. One, both of them around space to have a conversation. It's Mm -hmm. it's scheduling a meeting with yourself. Yes. And it's scheduling a meeting with each of your girls.
1: Yes. I've just added three meetings to my calendar, which feels like a step in the wrong direction. (laughs) Yeah, does it? No, it doesn't. That's a peccadillo.
0: It sort of does in one sense because I I know what we're saying. We we've just been talking about looks more meetings, more meetings, but but it's time blocking things that you actually at least are saying to me. Hey, these are essential. It's just hard to get to them right now.
1: That's right, and, and in all seriousness, I don't by any means believe that meetings are inherently bad. I think mindless, constant meetings are inherently bad. But meetings that actually have an intended objective that by attending them will allow you to better serve yourself, your clients, your team, those are time really well spent. And so in all seriousness, these are meetings that I think would serve me and my goals really well.
0: So then what's the very first obvious step you can take to make those meetings happen?
1: I just, I'm going to start with myself. I figure, let me practice this on myself before I torture my children. So it's going on my calendar.
0: Uh, let, Let me ask you sort of a kicker here, which is how can you, well, first of all, do you want to? But if the answer to that is yes, then how can you make it effortless to continue having this meeting with yourself?
1: Yeah, I I do think it is an important practice. I think this moment, this moment of sort of reset and refresh feels like an opening, but it feels like a practice that really would serve me on a regular basis Um, And I, you know, I'm a really big believer in the virtuous cycle of winning. So you do something one time and it brings you a little bit of success and you get a bit of a dopamine hit and that feeds you and you want to do it again. Right. And that's why I was talking earlier about taking small action. I think I think our minds are wired to look for a win, even a small one. I think it's about doing it once and making sure this becomes the focus in my morning pages so that I'm sort of sealing in that experience of victory and it creates a craving to want to do it again. And then I think over time, hopefully it starts to become a practice.
0: Yeah, I like that. Here's something else for the structure. I've been using a new structure for my off-sites, my reflective periods, and they're gratitude-based, which, uh, which if, if you're journaling every morning is a, is a natural extension. But what I, I call it like positive prioritization, because what I'm doing first is looking through the first, you know, now six months and looking at all the thing the big things that i'm really especially grateful for the big wins and first of all that's just good mental health anyway it's a, it's to me it's very satisfying to look at wow oh yeah there are things i sometimes even forget about wow we made that big progress this whole thing happened i hadn't even started that project back then so it's good for that reason but because you're looking for the things you're most grateful for it's actually a prioritization process too without really noticing that it's prioritization. You're just celebrating the things that matter most to you at the end of that six month period. And so then I use that list as the beginning list for my goal list. So I'm looking at each item and saying, okay, well, what would, what would great progress look like in each of these things that I'm thankful for right now? I have found that to be rejuvenating, Uh, I found it inspiring, and I find it to be focusing as well.
1: Is it possible that we could add a number six to our list?
0: Oh, I like it. Go for it. Give us number six.
1: I think you just gave us number six. I think that is the loveliest practice. And I think that would be a tremendous um, sort of conversation for leaders to facilitate with their teams, whether one-on-one or as a group. You know, hey, this has been a stressful time and we are dealing with burnout. But as we think about what we want to change going forward, can we take a moment to really highlight some of what we've survived, some of what we have achieved, and some of what we maybe want to turn the dial up on or continue going forward? I think that would be a really beautiful way to carry that. Sort of action list through. This gives you an opportunity to see the accumulation of small actions that you've taken and, and hopefully wins that you've created.
0: I, I do like that.
1: Ooh, look at us. We're on fire today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's been such a, a pleasure to have you, Rachel. Thank you for taking the time to come and share your insights and to really almost have a, a little facilitation session as you would have with your clients uh, to try and think through this moment and what to do in it. Thank you for being open with your own, you know, your own questions and your own challenges in this moment, in this, this sort of semi-eye before the storm moment that, uh, that that we're having that can be, I think, quite anxiety producing for people Uh, and uh, appreciate uh, your insight and
1: your wisdom on the What's Essential Podcast. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I, I had a blast. It was a pleasure doing this, Greg. Thank you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Essentialists, one and all, we've come to that moment again, the end of the show. Thank you really sincerely for listening. It's been amazing to see what's happened already with this show. The show has become, in fact, the top 3% of podcasts globally within just the first five months of its launch and that's because of you. You have made this special. And I want to end, as I always do, reminding you that if you don't do anything else, just ask what's essential and eliminate as much as possible everything else.
2: This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media,